Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, old sports, and welcome to another episode of the Hello, Old Sports podcast on the Sports History Network. It is time for episode two in our ongoing series of the best all-time starting nines for each major league franchise. We already did the National League Central, and we are on to the American League West. Uh, before we get started, I would just like to remind you all to please follow us uh, on iTunes or whatever your podcast app of choice is. You can please give us a rating and a review if you like what you hear. If you have any suggestions, please feel free to contact the show at helloldsports at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook at helloldsports.com podcast. Andrew, how are you today? I am doing tremendously, Dan. Um, I am doing uh, just almost nearly exactly as well as I was doing the last time we did one of these episodes. Um, I'm probably on average about an hour more tired than I was when we (laughs) did the last uh, because we're definitely not recording them back to back or anything. But um, yeah, we we had a lot of Go ahead. Sorry. We finally have two episodes that we can record back to back and not have it turn into an all nighter. So we always, I always tell the story about how when we, when we recorded for the first time, we thought we might be able to record two episodes back to back. And what we thought we were going to be able to do in a couple hours ended up being our first three episodes that I think clocked in at a total of like seven hours. So the ability to occasionally do a slightly shorter episode or two and maybe record them in back to back on the same night. It's, it's kind of nice once in a while. Plus I get to refer to tonight as a double event this time. Is that a wrestling term? The rest reference to a let to what Jack the Ripper wrote in a letter or wasn't the real Jack the Ripper, but it was one of the Jack the Ripper letters. He said double event this time, meaning he killed two people that night. Well, that sounds awful, but, um, so the National League Central had a lot there. There were four teams that went all the way back to the 1880s, at least. Uh, the American League West, maybe not so much. There is a lot of not great players to choose from in this list of five players. Although, theoretically, we could have had Nolan Ryan as the starting pitcher for three different teams. So I guess that's that's something to, to hang your hat on. So we were going to be yeah. talking about the AL West here, the Athletics, the Mariners, the Angels, the Astros, and the Texas Rangers. So do you have anything to add before we get started? Yeah, so I made light of it before, but we recorded this in the NL Central episode in the same night, which means I studied for them all in the same night. And for once, I did it right. I did this first. I said, I'm going to do the AL West first because it's going to be a lot of what you just described. I won't. I don't use that sort of language, Um, but uh, it'll be a lot easier because like doing the angels and the Rangers. It was like a delight when then I got to do the reds and I was like, Oh, I have 120 years of history to go through instead of like, uh, this guy was okay for three years. So no, let's just clarify a couple of things here. And it's easy for most of them, but the A's includes their time in Philadelphia and theoretically their time in Kansas city, although not really that much. The Rangers includes the 1960s version of the Washington Senators, not the historical Walter Johnson Senators. That was the Twins franchise. The original Senators moved to Minnesota in 1961. The new Senators came in the next year. Or wait, they came in in that Same was year. 60. Yeah. yeah. They, they came in in 61. Yeah. You know, I knew they didn't miss a year. I was getting that. Yeah. The, the, the Twins first year was 61. Yeah. 
So this is the senators that existed from 61 to what, 70 before they moved to Texas? It was like 72. I think they moved to Texas because Ted Williams was the manager of the senators their last few years. And then the manager of the Rangers in Texas their first year or two. And that was in the early 70s. These are the senators teams whose uniforms are kind of similar to the nationals of today. They had the red hat and helmet with the curly W, not the senators of Walter Johnson with the bluer uniforms with the block w so that's then, that's the difference there just to finish up the mariners have obviously always been the mariners we get the astros who were very briefly the cult 45s would we'll take both the al and nl versions of the Na- astros and then the angels will include the los angeles angels the california angels the anaheim angels the los angeles angels of anaheim and now just back to the los angeles angels did I get all that? Did they, when did they go back to the Los Angeles Angels? I think they dropped the of Anaheim a long time ago, like like at least five to six years. You know, and it's funny, too, because when I was at Dodger Stadium and my Dodger Stadium story is one that I may have told here before, which was not a good one. But in the two innings that we were actually at the game, I saw people walking around with shirts that said the Los Angeles Dodgers of Los <laughs> <Yeah>. Angeles. <laughs> so. When they do their subway series or whatever, not obviously not a subway series there, but um, when they do their like inter, you know, area thing, you'll see a lot of those at Dodger games that say that. I mean, we can also talk about the fact that just the Los Angeles Angels literally means the the Angels and Angels, but. But uh, yes, so those are the teams we're talking about. Well, we could also talk about the fact that the team is known as what they were known as when they first started in 1961. But for 50 years in between, they were known as three other different things before they're just back to the Los Angeles Angels. So it's like the Oakland Raiders thing on steroids. But instead of it being 10 years in a different city, it's 50 years and no city move whatsoever. So last time when we did it, we had four teams with a lot of history to choose from and one team with not much history that we kind of dropped in there. This time it's almost the opposite. I mean, there's some history to some of these teams. It's all just mostly recent, um, recent in this context. So you went first last time. So I guess I'll go first this time. Go for it. Let's start with... The Texas Rangers, formerly the Washington Senators, but not the historical Washington Senators. And here's what I have. Catcher, Yvonne Pudge Rodriguez. First baseman, Rafael Palmero. Second baseman, Ian Kinsler. Shortstop, Alex Rodriguez. Third baseman, Adrian Beltre. Outfields of Juan Gonzalez, Josh Hamilton, Frank Howard. And then pitcher, I never got to a definitive answer, and I just wrote you, Darvish, because I was tired of thinking about it. So I am with you eight for eight on the position players. This actually isn't a bad lineup. You feel or feel like Pudge is a Hall of Famer. Beltre is a Hall of Famer. Now, Beltre is not somebody who played his entire career with the Rangers. He was only there for eight years, but he's a guy with 3000 hits. He's going to be in the hall of fame. Juan Gonzalez had some really good years with the Rangers in the nineties. Did, did, did Juan Gonzalez ever win an MVP with the Rangers? I think he might've, I can pull that up. I believe you're right. Was it maybe 97? Let's take a look at that here. Two Uh, AL MVP seasons, 96 and 98. The, the two I gave the most thought to was for a minute. I'm like, A-Rod was there three years. Can you really give it to A-Rod? The short answer is yes, especially in the absence of anybody else who's a suitable replacement. Did he win two MVPs the, the three, two of the three years he was there? Just the one. He won it in 03, his last year there as okay. uh, the, the first player in 15 or 16 years who'd won MVP on a last place team. And then he immediately demanded to be traded. And that was, I mean, he was the, the runner up the year, but he was the runner up the year before that, you know, two. So he was literally in Texas for three years. He was sixth in MVP, second in MVP, first in MVP, gold glove, all three years, silver slugger, all three years. His, and again, I'll just do the power numbers. His power numbers, those three years, 52, 135, 
57-142-47-118. So, yes, you can give it to a guy who's been there for three years. And then second baseman Ian Kinsler, I believe Michael Young was the other one you saw debated a lot there. Was that correct? Um he was he although he actually played he played all three infield positions second third and short okay. he actually played more games at shortstop and i i kind of tried to get there with michael young at shortstop over a rod interesting fact michael young played 13 years with the rangers a rod played 3 so michael young literally played a decade more with the rangers both had a war of 25.5 during their time with yeah, the rangers and, that, and that's rangers. a counting number that's not an average number Exactly, exactly. So you figure A-Rod did just as much for the team in three years as Michael Young did in 13. Michael Young was a seven-time All-Star with the Rangers. Tacoma Gold Glove at shortstop in 2008. So not a not a bad player, but yeah, I, fe- I was there with, Ki- with, Kinsler, um, with Kinsler and with A-Rod. Josh Hamilton, who had some personal issues, obviously, was only a Ranger for... Six years, won an MVP award in 2010, which was one of the two years that the Rangers made it to the World Series. They lost in 2010 to the Giants, I believe, in six games. I'd have to go back and check that. You know, had had some really good years, and then I think his personal issues kind of caught up to him a little bit. So you got a bunch of outfielders who, you know, three MVPs among the the two of the three outfielders in Hamilton and Gonzalez, Frank Howard, who was this huge imposing player on the Washington senators of the sixties uh, and was something like six foot nine and still kind of a hero to, to old school DC baseball fans. He's the one Washington Senator that makes it onto the list. 36 home runs in 1967 leads the league with 44 and 68, 48 and 69. And then it leads the league again in 70 with 44 home runs as well as 126 RBIs. Really, really good player power hitter started his career with the Dodgers where he won a world series with them um, with the Koufax Drysdale team, 246 home runs. Uh, so an average of over 30 a year in eight seasons with the senators. And I, I don't know if he, he was there till 72. So I think, and I think that might've been, he either plays one year or zero years with them in Texas. He's mostly just a Senator. So I think we're basically in agreement. This team is not as bad as you might think it is for the only, I think they're the, the, the rate we had the only two teams that have not made it to a world. Se- no, the Rangers have made it to the world series. Rangers made it to two. They've now since made it to two. And I just said that a minute ago, if I was paying attention to myself, you said you had you Darvish with the Rangers. He only pitched five years for them. I went with Kenny Rogers, who actually did three different stints with the team, mm. 89 to 95, 2000 to 2002 and 04 to 05, 133 wins with the Rangers um, pitched a perfect game for them in 94 uh, four gold glove awards. So we're not really picking from the cream of the crop here when we're talking about the best starting pitcher in Rangers history, but Kenny Rogers can get there for me. Yeah, it was to me, it was Rogers was sort of the default and, you know, maybe it was sort of biased against him for his time with the Yankees, which was not exactly stellar um, or, and that's being kind, so I was looking at him and then I looked at uh, who else did I look at real quick? Um, Kevin Brown, but Kevin Brown wasn't as good as I like this baseball egg website that I looked at. They had him as their ace as his ace, you know, then there's Nolan Ryan, but that was the tail end of Nolan Ryan's career. I mean, he, you know, I think he threw at least one more no hitter with them. And, but I, I just looked at a few different guys and I, I ended up with Darvish. I, I'm fine with Kenny Rogers. I think you're probably correct that that's the way to go. Um, so I went with him. Frank Howard, I looked it up, by the way, he played part of the 72 season with the Rangers and then left. I don't know if he was, I'm assuming he was traded and went to Detroit after that. So that Senators team, actually, I remember when you, you had uh, done like research for a guy who did a podcast on the 
an episode of the night uh, team about the a podcast episode about the 1969 senators, which was kind of like a surprisingly pretty good team that some people in DC kind of recall fondly. And that just sort of sprung to my mind when I was, um, when I was looking at this and thinking about him specifically. Justin McGuire did his great baseball by the book podcast, and he still does it periodically, but he, he sort of. So he does it about like magazines now. <laughs> he does it on occasion now, like a few times a year. We, for a while, he was basically every week or two. Um, he's done like 300 episodes at this point. And I was sort of helping him out as one of a few guys who would kind of, you know, go through the books, read the books, come up with some potential questions for him to ask. And I think I did like eight or nine of them for him uh, all told. And it was funny because I think I sort of I wrapped up with that sort of just as we were coincidentally starting with this podcast. I think he stopped doing his thing in like early like springish of 2021 was when he stopped doing regular episodes. But uh, one of the first ones I did, and I forget the author's name, was a book called A Whole New Ball Game, which is about that 69 Senators team. Incidentally, 1969 in Washington, D.C. Sport, sports is one of those interesting years. Um, maybe that could be something we did as a podcast one day because you got that Senators team that came out of nowhere to win almost 90 games. You got the Bullets, although they were still in Baltimore at the time, with Wes Unseld uh, going, uh, winning Rookie of the Year and MVP in the same year. If you want to stick in Baltimore, you got the Orioles, great team, losing to the Mets. And then in D.C. with the Redskins, you got Lombardi coming to coach the Redskins for the one year that he was there before he passed away. So lots of interesting stuff in Baltimore, D.C. sports in that 1969 time frame. But was anyway, that book written by was that book written by Stephen J. Walker? Does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds right. That definitely sounds right. So yeah, Stephen J. Walker, before, whole new ball game. Before we move on, I just remember looking research this whole thing. I didn't realize when the senators, you know, so the original senators moved to Minnesota, and sort of the politicians in D.C. didn't want to, you know, they wanted to to sort of wield their influence to get the senators back, you know, right away. I didn't realize that part of the deal was that you couldn't play a game with any less than three senators in the lineup, like U S senators. And that's one of the reasons they were so bad was that so many of those senators were out of shape and old and, you know, and that kind of thing. None of that is even remotely correct. Listen, I have to, if you, you're going to, I have to ratchet up the nonsense a little in this episode. I played it relatively straight for the NL central one. I mean, we're going to start talking about some, guys in a minute here so i i have to have a little bit of fun here so um yes so we'll so agree disagree so our texas rangers lineup uh texas rangers slash washington senators pudge rodriguez palmero ian kinsler adrian beltre a rod at short and then juan gonzalez josh hamilton frank howard in the outfield and kenny rogers as the pitcher and is it my turn yes your turn between the a's the mariners the astros and the angels all right. I don't want to do the A's just yet. Yeah. Um, let's do the Mariners because this one I think was almost surprisingly okay also. So I had Dan Wilson as my catcher, John Olerud at first, Robinson Cano at second base. I had Edgar Martinez at third because even though he was a DH almost in his entire career, his main position when he did play the field was third. So you wanted to get him in and you had to put him somewhere. Shortstop, I had A-Rod, and then my outfield was Griffey, Ichiro, Jay Buhner, and my starting pitcher was Randy Johnson. So we are remarkably similar with one difference. Uh, so I did have Dan Wilson at catcher. At second, I had Cano over Brett Boone. Cano, obviously the money he got in Seattle, and he got caught a couple of times with with you know steroid or performance-enhancing drug-related things. But he still had some really good years up there, certainly better than Brett Boone. Now, and also, I mean, if we're going to wave that around, there was a year out of nowhere where Brett Boone hit like 50 home runs. So if we're going to paint with that performance enhancing brush, we have to at least mention that. Um, Fair point. I did the exact same thing with Edgar Martinez because I'm looking and I'm going, and I guess this is going to be a thing we're going to have to talk about at one point with the ALE too. I'm looking and I'm going, this guy's a Hall of Famer. Can I really not put him on this in this lineup because he was a DH? So it's a bit of a fib because he 
barely played third base. But if you were going to call him anything, you would call him a third baseman. But I feel validated by the fact that we both did that. Like if you had said to me, you really can't count him as a third baseman, I'd be like, all right, fine. But we both agree on that. Outfield, I did the same thing. Ichiro, Griffey, Buner. Really wasn't as long lasting with Buner as I thought it was, but still give him the nod. And pitcher Randy Johnson. I mean, Felix Hernandez had some really, really good years, but you know, Randy Johnson's that were just that much more dominant, even if he had maybe one or two less of them before he moved to Arizona than uh than Buner did, or excuse me, than uh than Felix Hernandez did. I went with Alvin Davis at first base over John Olerud. I thought about Olerud, so it's not like Oh, I, you know, we're, we're way off on that. I just figured Olerud maybe was not there quite as long. Alvin Davis was there eight years. Rightly or wrongly, I kind of wanted to put somebody who was on the team before 1995 in there because the rest of it otherwise is a very modern team. Let me pull up Alvin Davis's stats just to see. And I mean, again, if you really feel strongly about putting, uh, Putting Olerud in there, we can certainly do that. But um, let me see if I can get Alvin Davis's stats here. While you're doing that, just real quick on the pitchers. I was back and forth between Felix Hernandez and Randy Johnson, too. Both won one Cy Young Award when they were with the Mariners. Now, Randy Johnson then went on to win four in a row when he was in Arizona. And maybe that factor. He'll be on the Arizona team. Not for any spoilers, but when we get there, he'll be on the Arizona team. Yeah, I think four Cy Young awards in a winner in a in a row gets you there. So I was I was sort of the same way, and that I thought maybe there was a way, maybe Felix Hernandez deserved it, but Randy Johnson was just so iconic. And the other thing too is that the Mariners, I don't know, I'm sure they made the playoffs at some point during the Felix Hernandez years, but Randy Johnson no, they was they didn't make it at all. The Mariners, the Mariners haven't made the playoffs in 2001 until this year. You're right. They made so, it this year. Yeah. So even to prove my point a little more, I feel like that kind of drives home just what a big deal and some of the big moments that Johnson had 95, 97 for those Mariner teams. So I, I was comfortable with Johnson. I also look closely at the Alvin Davis versus uh, John Olerud thing, but why don't you go ahead first? So Davis, if you look, he's he's what ninth overall in war for the um for position players. So again, not super high, but higher, you know, he appears, whereas John Olerud doesn't two all-stars. He did win a rookie of the year in his rookie year, which would have been 84. You know, if you want to maybe say the knock on him, but that was obviously the highlight of his time. And then he made just one more, actually never made an all-star team after his rookie year, finished 23rd in the MVP voting in 89. But, um, you know, overall nine years there, he was a 280, hitter over a hundred RBIs twice, just shy a couple of times, 95 in 1989. So again, not great, but the look, you know, he was there quite a while. He was probably the best player on that sort of era of very bad Mariner teams. So I gave it to him, but you know, if Olerud's defense and sort of being a part of those really good teams, if that puts it over the top for you, I certainly won't argue with it. You know, I think I'm going to defer to you on Davis. The batting average differences are actually not that different, especially when you think of Olerud as such a great average hitter. Davis in his eight years hit 281. Olerud only hit 285. Davis has twice as many home runs, more than twice as many, 160 versus 72. Did you mention, did Davis ever win? Let me see. Defensive-wise, Olerud did much better. Olerud won three gold gloves. Let me see how many Davis won. I didn't see any, especially, you know, the era he played in. I I, I didn't see any. Never a gold glove. But you know what? I think they're close enough. And Olerud was past his prime. His best years were Toronto and New York. So he was the first baseman on that great 2001 Mariner team that won 116 games. But I can give you Davis. It is funny, like you said, that we came really, really close to not having a single guy from before that 95 team that, you know, sort of Mm -hmm. saved baseball in Seattle. So we're going to have Dan Wilson, Alvin Davis, Robinson Cano, Edgar Martinez, Alex Rodriguez, Ken Griffey Jr., Ichiro Suzuki, Jay Buhner and Randy Johnson. So you got 
two guys who are already in the Hall of Fame and three guys, Randy Johnson, Griffey and Edgar Martinez, a fourth who's going to be there in each row. And then obviously a rod would be in if, if he hadn't had all of his extracurricular issues. So not again, not a terrible team, the Seattle Mariners. And I think that no, well, they were so good in the 90s and then they had Ichiro. And I guess really, if you look, most of this team is really from that one era, from the 90s era, depending on where you landed. You know, some other people might have landed with Felix Hernandez instead of Randy Johnson, but very concentrated in that sort of 95 to 01 era for the most part. And I think it's your your turn and you should go next. It is. So I'm trying to figure out the best way there's. I guess what I don't let's go with the Astros because I think they're pretty interesting, especially given their recent history. And then there might be sort of a can we or can we not do a certain thing here? So for the Astros, I went with Brad Osmus at catcher Bagwell at first. I went with Biggio at second Carlos Correa at short Alex Bregman at third my outfield was Jose Cruz, Cesar Cedeno, and Lance Berkman, and then Justin Verlander is the pitcher. Yeah, I had to go back and relook at Verlander because you just don't think of him as an Astro. But then when you figure the guys look at one, two Cy Young awards, I I almost didn't think of it until and I was two like, oh, championships. Well, yeah, I was like, shouldn't this be Verlander, given what he's done for this team mm-hmm. and led them to the World Series, or not to the World Series, but led them to World Titles for the first time ever? He is. A clearing away first ballot Hall of Famer. He probably goes into the Hall of Fame as an Astro when you figure this is what he's where he's dominated, even though he missed basically the last two seasons prior to this one. But the guy is very likely the best pitcher of our generation. So I think that he definitely gets the starting nod. He, he, even though he missed basically all of 20 and completely all of 21 he's still his last two seasons that he's actually pitched he's won the Cy Young award both years so that's 2019 and 2022 let's just look at this just in sort of simple numbers from when he so he gets traded from Detroit halfway through the 2017 season more than halfway through the 2017 season right at the deadline the last couple of years before that on Detroit, he'd been pitching to a high, you know, mid three ERA, not bad, but Detroit was starting to, you know, lose that run they had in the early part of the, you know, like Oh five to 12 or so comes to Houston makes five or makes uh, five starts goes five and Oh, with a 1.06 ERA, then goes on to win the world series. 18. He's he wins the Cy or he's second in the Cy Young in 18 wins the Cy Young in 19, then barely pitches in 20, doesn't pitch in 21, and wins the Cy Young in 2022. So the three full seasons he had, second in Cy Young, and then two Cy Youngs. And also came into them in 2017, was the MVP of the 2017, not the World Series, but the uh, ALCS. He pitched in 17, he pitched to a zero ERA in the World Series, or no, excuse me, 0.56 in the ALCS this year in the ALCS. God, he killed the Yankees. I'm looking at these. I'm like, oh, he had two great ALCSs. Yeah, they're both against the Yankees. So I I have to give it to Berlin. Who would be second, Nolan Ryan? I actually had Roy Oswalt because he had some good years for those 90s Bagwell Biggio teams, Mm -hmm. but I don't think you can go wrong with with Nolan Ryan as your potential second, either just another quick note on Verlander. First of all, even in his mid thirties, when he, when he has been healthy, he's been very, very consistent. He led the league with 34 starts in both 19, uh, 2018 and 2019. So that basically means that he was, which guys don't tend to do this. He was pitching every fifth day. He didn't miss a start. And then even this year, he made 28 starts, so he missed some starts. But then a 1.75 ERA at 39 years of age is pretty damn good for um, for him at, in, in this most recent season. And like you said, another another world championship. I think I know exactly what you want to talk about, What you, whether we can get away with something. But why don't you have at it? I can't go with Biggio as the catcher. He did not catch after 1991. 
if I'm reading this correctly, I looked at the positional numbers. Catcher is also not one that I feel comfortable sliding a guy in because at one point he was a catcher. If you, you know what I mean? It's not like, well, he played second and then he played third. I, I feel a little weird about calling a guy a catcher who caught very early in his career and by 1992 was not a catcher anymore. Um, let me actually do the games by position. So I agree that we can't make Biggio the catcher, but I want to mm-hmm. sort of throw something else out there. After the Giants won the World Series in 2002, or lost the World Series, I should say, to Anaheim, who we'll talk about in a minute, Jeff Kent, uh, despite having won an MVP with the Giants, he and Barry Bonds could not stand each other. So Bonds leaves the Giants. He signs with the Astros to play second base. And in this 2000- is what you mean, Kent. I'm sorry, Kent leaves the Astros. Kent leaves the that Giants. That would have been a story. Yes, it would have been. <laughs> Kent leaves the Astros to go and Kent leaves the Giants to go sign with the Astros to play second base. Now, Jeff Biggio's at second base. Craig Biggio's at second base. 2003 and 2004, at age 37 and 38, Biggio plays 150 and 149 games in the outfield. And I think that those two years are enough to say that Craig Biggio can be a an outfielder, especially when you factor in that you have an MVP in Altuve at second base. So I okay. would replace Berkman with Craig Biggio and leave Altuve at second base. And that that would be how I would go forward were I choosing this Astros team. That's more fair. I can so be uh, did you have everything else the same? I did. I had Cruz and Cedeno as my other two outfielders. And so Cruz, I Cruz Cedeno and Biggio as your outfielders. Correct. Bregman at third. Yeah, I have the whole left side you know, second short third is all the modern guys Bregman Biggio Correa although Correa has been gone now but you, you know you, the guys who you would associate with this current era and then did you have Osmus as the catcher I did I did because catcher has been sort of the weakest point for this team over the last five or six years and I didn't know of anybody I I looked very briefly at um whichever Ashby was a catcher and was with the team in the 80s I think it was Alan Ashby was the one mm. who was the catcher. It was either Alan or Andy. So I, but I went with Osmus. So yeah, I, I had Osmus. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know Ashby's on the team in RBI. All right. So we were actually closer on that than we thought. Yeah, I can give you Biggio in the outfield. I couldn't give him to you as a catcher. I, I agree. So Osmus, Bagwell, Altuve, Bregman, Correa, Biggio, Cruz, Cedeno, and Verlander. All right. So. You got the A's and the Angels left. I uh, it's your pick. I am fine if you want to go the A's here. However, you want to handle it. Let's go with the A's because that way we're not closing with the best team. And here's what I had: I had a catcher. I had Mickey Cochran. First mm-hmm. base was Jimmy Fox. Second base Eddie Collins. Third base was Frank Home Run Baker. Shortstop, I moved up to Oakland for the end into the 70s, and I went with Burt Campanaris. Outfield, I had Al Simmons, I had Ricky Henderson, and I had Reggie Jackson. And then my pitcher was Lefty Grove. And that, to me, is a really, really, really good team. So you had, in your outfield, you had, I'm sorry, you had Al Simmons, Ricky Henderson, and Reggie Jackson. Correct. Okay, so we're close. I at third, I had Sal Bando, but I wrote over Baker in parentheses, so I could I, certainly. I did Go the ahead. same thing. I crossed out Bando when I put Baker. Sal Bando okay. was a big part of those seventies teams. He was an all-star he just passed away this year. So we'll talk about him on our in memoriam in that at the end of this year, let me take a look here. Cause I don't want to take anything away from Sal Bando. He played 
he, he finished up his career with the Brewers. He he started with the A's when they were still in Kansas City. He, you know, never put up great numbers. Uh, 240 career home runs. So he was consistently in double-digit home runs. Four-time All-Star. He was an All-Star for all three A's teams that won the World Series. 72, 73, and 74. Lifetime 254 hitter and played with the A's essentially from 67 was the first year he got in more than a handful of games all the way up to 1976, which I'm sure he was part of Charlie Finley's uh, fire sale. And he ended up uh, finishing his career with Milwaukee home run. Baker was part of this hundred thousand dollar infield for Connie Max A's. He actually wasn't with them. It's funny. It's funny because like Bando, Home Run Baker got caught up in a, an A's sell-off 60 years earlier by Connie Mack when he had to sell off his team in the mid-19-teens. And so he ended up playing uh, most of the rest of his career with the Yankees starting in 1916, and he was there all the way up through the, the early years of Babe Ruth. Led the league in home runs three years in a row, uh, sort of in the heyday of the A's with the um, with the team in the teens, 11 home runs, 10 home runs, actually four years in a row, 11, 10, 12 and 19. Also led the league in RBIs two years in a row, won the three World Series, same as Bando. I think that because Baker was one of the best players in baseball in the 19 teens. And you couldn't really say that about Sal Bando for the A's of the seventies. That was what pushed it over the top for me for home run Baker. And Al Simmons obviously uh, gets a spot, right? He was one of the best players on those twenties teams. Um, yes. You know, twenties and early thirties. All right. I'm not going to fully make this argument, but you can make a very strong argument that Mark McGuire belongs in over Reggie Jackson. McGuire is, has Jackson in almost every category that's a counting category. He has over a hundred more home runs than him. He's the all-time franchise leader in home runs. He's the got over uh, almost 200 more RBIs than McGuire does. He has let's see OPS McGuire has more than Jackson you're saying yeah McGuire's beating Jackson and all these things I'm mentioning I'm sorry now obviously Jackson was on teams that won a lot more so that counts although McGuire was on teams that he wasn't just on horrible teams they went to a few world series on base percentage is uh, neither of them are there in on base percentage I still would go with Jackson, but I just wanted to mention that McGuire's a little closer to Reggie than you would think when you factor in both of their tenures as A's. Yeah, but how would you make that work anyway? Because Mark McGuire's not an outfielder. I would figure that part out. (laughs) I would put him in left field because he's... I don't think he needs to play too much in the outfield. Um I did this very late at night, and I think I'm an outfielder. So we're just going to that part out. Um, and as you're I, saying this, I'm like, maybe was Jimmy Fox an outfielder, and you could put him in the outfielder. But then I looked up Jimmy Fox's stats, and the, Jimmy Fox didn't really play the outfield. So yeah, you know I mean, what I was thinking? All of those guys are outfielders, and Canseco was an outfielder. So I think I was just, I just got confused in my head. So. Um, we can leave it in and I can look like an idiot or uh, whatever. It's fine. Yes. That makes the outfield situation a lot easier. <laughs> that Mark McGuire is not actually an outfielder. I don't know where, I don't know what I was, where I was coming from on that, but. <laughs> and I thought I was bad originally forgetting about Verlander and putting in Roy Oswald. So you, you <laughs> this is what you, happens you, when you try you, to, you try to make like a brilliant point and then you just, you know, your point about Mark McGuire over Reggie Jackson was a pretty good one, I have to admit, but just doesn't doesn't, doesn't really work because he's not. Yeah. And I don't think you could argue for McGuire over Jimmy Fox. No, 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 no. I I just as I, I maybe that's why because I was looking and I'm like, wow, Reggie's not in as high up in as many of these categories as I thought. 
And then just looking at the offense, I'm like, oh, can I put McGuire? And then I'm, yeah, I just was totally spacing on the fact that he was not actually a an outfielder. And I know that I just spaced on. It. So yes, and just Let's as not- in this. And just as an aside here, even though he gets talked about mostly in the context of the Yankees, and we obviously come up with that mostly because we're in New York and we hear about him. Plus, you know, his both his biggest and his most controversial moments, Reggie Jackson, were as a member of the Yankees. Playing wise, his best years probably were with Oakland. That's where he won his MVP. So just to kind of throw that out there. So I think with that adjustment, I think we're in agreement with Cocker and Fox, Collins, Baker, Campanaris, Simmons, Henderson, Jackson, and Grove. We've not had a team yet with nine Hall of Famers. I don't think either this episode or the previous, but that's a team with eight Hall of Famers. And also, I don't think there's a single borderline Hall of Famer on that whole team. So that is a really, really good team. Now, and the last thing I wanted to mention from a pitcher standpoint, Lefty Grove, Eddie Plank had really good numbers, but if you compare the errors Eddie Plank pitched in the dead ball era and Grove pitched in the more hitter friendly era. So they were close number wise, but I think when you adjust all that, I think you definitely get Grove. Yeah. Uh, Chief Eddie Plank and Chief Bender are the two from those, that earlier A's dynasty that people talk about. But I do think you got to give it to Grove. They, they said he was so fast. He could throw a lamb chop past a wolf. Who said that? I don't know. It was from the Ken Burns. So, yes. All right. So, I think, by the way, that one will probably win when we rank these teams. That leaves us just with the Angels. Correct. So, here's what I got. And this one, we might have some wild differences on just because there's not a whole lot here. Although, actually, I mean, there's more here, but mostly in the out. So, I have Bob Boone, the catcher, Rod Carew at first, Bobby Gritch at second. Jim Fergosi at short, Troy Gloss at third, my outfield, Vladimir Guerrero, and then the Fish Brothers, Mike Trout and Tim Salmon. And then I went with Nolan Ryan as the pitcher over Chuck Finley, uh, but it was close. So I'm with you on seven of the nine. We are in complete agreement in the infield. I had Carew, I had Gritch, I had Troy Glaus, who was the MVP of their only World Series win in 2002, and I had Jim Fergosi. Outfield. I had Trout. <laughs> yeah. I had Salmon. Obviously, I had Trout. And Tim Salmon um, was, was you know, one of the best players never to make an all-star team, by the way, if you're looking for a little bit of uh, of trivia there. My, and I did have Nolan Ryan as the pitcher. Who did you, you, you had Vlad as an outfielder? I did, yeah. You have so, Jim Edmonds? I had Darren Erstad. Okay. Vlad only played six years with the Angels. Had, with the Angels, I should say. He had 27 to 39 home runs in all of them. He did win the AL MVP in his first year with the team in 2004 after he finally became a free agent and was able to leave Montreal. But there's really sort of a real drop off for him with the Angels. After that, so oh four, he leads the league in run score with 124. He hits uh, 39 home runs, which is a good number, even in a power heavy era, 126. But then he really does sort of start to drop off. I mean, he's still in the 30s in home runs for the next couple years. He finishes third in MVP the following year. So not bad by any means, you know, good, but. I compared that with Erstad, who had almost twice as many seasons with 11 seasons. Um, he uh, won gold gloves at three different positions, first base, center field, and left field. Hit 355 in 2000. Obviously, I know that Vlad played more seasons, but you know he had 114 home runs to Vlad's 173. You know... Let me look. I know that defense was definitely part of my consideration for Erstad. Yeah, but Guerrero was a phenomenal outfielder too, especially with his arm. True. How Maybe he wasn't. Gold, a- 
how many gold gloves though did he win in Anaheim? He didn't win any gold gloves ever. So he, 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 gloves so he, he wasn't a phenomenal fielder. He had a really strong arm. Um, I don't yeah. know. I'm not. I'm not buying the drop off as much as you are indicating. To be honest, his yeah, average, and- but, I mean his his average dropped twenty points the next year, but within the two years after that, it was within ten of that first year. His on base percentage actually went up from the by 07 his on base percentage was actually up to the highest it had been while he was an angel and these are all very similar numbers so his ops his mvp year was 157 the next year it was 154 the year after that 138 then 147 i just am not seeing the significant drop off he was top 10 in mvp voting four years in a row including two third place finishes. I just don't think the drop off was as significant as you seem to obviously eventually in like, Oh nine, he wasn't great, but um, I know he wasn't there super long, but he was the best player on those teams. And I think at that point, Oh four to Oh nine, he was one of the handful of most feared hitters in baseball. Yeah. You know, the more I look at it, I can get there. So I I can give you Vlad. I can definitely get there. The other one where I had a little bit of a disagreement was at catcher. And you went with Bob Boone, who was with the Angels for seven years. And uh, he won four gold gloves. Light hitter. He only hit 245. Um, Defense was sort of his... His strong suit, he was on that 86 team that lost to the Red Sox in that heartbreaking seven-game ALCS before the Red Sox went on to their own have their own heartbreaking seven-game loss to the Mets in the World Series. I had actually gone with Brian Downing, who was mostly a left fielder, but was also a catcher for them, and he was with the angels for basically the entirety of the 1980s. Um, mostly an outfielder in DH um, played with the angels for 13 seasons. It was a guy who could kind of go anywhere. He could lead off. He could play catcher. Um, he could, you know, that cleanup, he could do any number of things. So I had gone with Brian Downing, but I don't know that I necessarily feel strongly enough about it that I, especially because he really was only a regular catcher for two seasons with the angels. He was more of a catcher during his earlier years Mm. with Chicago. So I I can give you, I can give you Boone. I can definitely. And I had written, I had written in parentheses defense. Um, One additional thing I wanted to talk about. How many more years would we need to go for Otani to make this team? I guess first is an outfielder. He's not going to make it over Trout. Let me look at his numbers real quick. We're looking, to, we're talking just about his offensive numbers. Well, well, that's a tough thing because, like, okay, twenty-one, he won an MVP, but that obviously also includes his pitching. Last year, he was second in MVP and fourth in Cy Young. So, I mean, it's very hard to quantify because nobody's done this in well over. There was no year of, Babe, you know what I mean? Even Babe Ruth was a pitcher and then he was a hitter. I know there was a little overlap, but it's hard to quantify. But I mean, the guy's already won an MVP, a rookie of the year, almost his, won another MVP. His year last year is objectively a very, very, very good year. 46 homers, 100 RBIs, which I got to be honest, 100 RBIs is low for a guy with 46 home runs. I mean, some of that maybe is just how crappy his team is, but at putting guys on base strikes out a ton. Yeah, I think everybody strikes out a ton these days. His batting average is low. You know, he's only got a 267 batting average. Uh, Even his OPS is not you know, off the charts. Yeah. I mean, if we're just talking about his offense, I would have to look at him versus Vlad a little bit more, but he probably does have, he'd probably have to put up at least three more years, like the year that he just had to get considered. Fair I enough. would say, 
by the way, since you mentioned his home runs and lack of RBIs because of the team, that gives me an excuse to read the Tungsten Armo Doyle uh, tweet, one of the most famous tweets of all time, from a guy named Matt Tomek on Twitter, May 17th, 2021, said, every time I see an Angels highlight, it's like Mike Trout hit three home runs and raised his average to 528, while Shohei Otani did something that hasn't been done since Tungsten Armo Doyle of the 1921 Akron Groomsmen as the Tigers defeated the Angels 8-3. to three. <laughs> um, Yeah, three home runs so that's Trout, a, right? Yeah. That's a very famous tweet. Now you'll see people actually with Angels, O'Doyle uh, jerseys and Akron jerseys. But um, yeah, so Otani not there yet, but probably will be soon. It's just so hard to quantify. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say he probably will be. I'd say he has a chance, but I take your point. Before we go on to our list, I just should mention, I mentioned this in the last episode, Tom Stone's now taking the field, baseball's all-time dream teams for all 30 franchises. A lot of the comparisons and analysis that I'm coming out with, I'm taking from that book. So I want to give uh, Mr. Tom Stone adequate credit for his book, and I'll link to it in the show notes. So like we did last time, we we want to list our top five. Did you have anything to say before we moved on to that? Here's what I'm going to say. Just because I feel like this one's, I mean, the A's have to be number one, right? Unquestionably. So just, we normally, I would never suggest this because it is, it is anticlimactic, but let's do it the reverse way for this one. Let's say the A's are, the A's are number one. Okay. They're going to move on. They move in with the Cardinals to our, Final round of six. Who's the second best on this list? I think the second best is Seattle because you have Rod Griffey, Ichiro. Here's what I'm going to say. You have three Hall of Famers whose best years by far were with the Mariners. Edgar Martinez obviously played his whole career there. Griffey was a shell of himself by the time he got to Cincinnati, but he was an absolute phenom and I think a two-time MVP in Seattle. I know he won at least one. He might've been a two-time MVP in Seattle. And Ichiro, all his good years were in Seattle. So that's three. And then A-Rod obviously played a lot longer with the Yankees than he did for either of the other teams, never won an MVP in Seattle. But A-Rod had some really, really good years in Seattle. He wouldn't have gotten that $252 million contract if he didn't. And then, you know, you look at, you know, some of the others and Randy Johnson, again, best years were in Arizona. So I think you got to go with Seattle as number two. I would agree with that. Where do we go with number three? Is it the. I mean, the Astros has got a fuel. Is the three the Rangers? Palmero. Rodriguez, Juan Gonzalez, Josh Hamilton, or is three? I mean, you got a lot of guys who were part of championship teams or Hall of Famers with the Astros. I will go Houston here. Bagwell okay. and Biggio both played. I mean, Biggio, I don't think played as one of those guys didn't play their whole career. I think they, what did Bagwell come up with the Red Sox and played like a, a, a few games with them or something like that? Let me Let me look that up real quick. But both of those guys played the vast majority of their career. They were essentially lifers with the Astros. No, Bagwell, I think, came up. Yeah, he came up in the Red Sox system, but his whole career on the field, actually in the majors, was with Houston. And then Biggio, same thing. So they both were. I thought one of them started somewhere else, but both tire careers with the Astros. Altuve has been an MVP. I'm. You know, the other guys, you know, Correa, Bregman, not as good, but solid contributors to at least one, uh, in the case of Bregman, two world championship teams. We talked about Verlander. Verlander Verlander is the best pitcher for his team other than Lefty Grove. I think he I think he outdoes Randy Jones. Oh, yeah. He outdoes Nolan Ryan, and he, he certainly outdoes Kenny Rogers. So I would go with the Astros at three. And then would you have Texas at four? I would have Texas at four. This angel team is pretty, pretty bad to be the totally infield, honest. Yeah. The infield stinks. The infield stinks. For what Car- we're talking about. Well, Carew's a hall of famer, but Carew's mostly a hall of famer based on what he did with the twins. Mm. 
And the, you know, Trout is who he is, obviously. We talked about how Vlad's best years were probably in Montreal. Nolan Ryan's best years, I don't know. I mean, Nolan Ryan, the, the career of Nolan Ryan is its own whole conversation. So, meanwhile, in Texas, you got MVPs. Trout's been MVP, obviously, but you got MVPs with A Rod, with Juan Gonzalez, with Hamilton. That's five MVP awards right there. Pud, did Pudge ever win an MVP? I did he? I don't think he did, but he's also probably one of the best what do you want to call him five catchers 13 time gold glove winner now some of this obviously happened with he was the mvp by the way he was the mvp in 1999 okay so you got basically you got the 96 98 and 99 mvps on this team plus hamilton who won an mvp beltray's going to the hall of fame not based entirely on his career with the rangers but partly Palmero, again, steroids, but a guy who, if, had he not been caught doing steroids, would have been considered a borderline Hall of Famer. You can look at five or six of these guys on the Rangers and at least talk about a dominant couple of years they had. You know, Frank Howard leading the American League in the 60s in home runs, 60s and early 70s. You don't have anything like that on the Rangers, so I don't even know that I would consider it to be particularly close Rangers over the angels yeah i mean this angels yeah the 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 sort of front the infield is is not great so i i would agree with them being fifth so you know already in my head i'm kind of playing through other divisions who will be the number one in each of those divisions um i don't know right off the top of my head i can strike some teams out um i guess i got a feeling a pretty good feeling about two of the divisions who will be the the winners in those ones but um eh, i don't know so the we'll AL see. Central is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got again four. I, I wrote it down. Both Centrals have four original 16 teams. So that's a lot to draw from. The AL East has three, but one of them's the Orioles with the St. Louis Browns, who aren't going to bring much to the table. The division we just did, the AL West only has one. And then in the NL, you have four in the central in the division we just did, uh, two in the west and two heavyweights in the west, and then two in the east. So the NL West is going to be a really interesting one to do because you're going to have three that we kind of tick through with some mediocrity pretty quickly, and then you're going to have, yeah, the Giants and the Dodgers, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, since we're here, um, why don't we? What do you want to? Going to decide what we're going to do next. What, what maybe we should do the NL East next? All right. So if we do the NL East and the AL Central, that would leave us with the AL East and the NL West. I think that makes a lot. Oh, I yeah, think we do, do one episode at a time. I'm just thinking about recording NL East next. Yeah, because that'll give you the Marlins. That'll give you the Expos slash Nationals. It'll give you the Phillies slash Blue Jays slash Phillies. Um, the Phillies were known as the Blue Jays, although nobody called them that for about two years in the forties. I think it was thirties or forties. I think that was um, Casey Stengel was the manager, actually. <laughs> and then the uh, the Metropolitans and the Braves. It was funny when I was trying to do that math on teams in each division. I kept getting seventeen, and I'm like, "What am I doing wrong?" And then I'm like, "Oh, I'm counting the Mets as an original team, and they're not." I guess you just, just kind of, I, I just associate them with being an original team. But um, yeah, no, those will be fun ones. So yeah, we'll, we'll, like you said, we'll sprinkle those in. You know, baseball season is six months long. We got six divisions to do. Regular season six months long. So you know, we'll probably sprinkle these in as we go. And I was wrong. Casey Stengel never managed the Phillies. He played for the Phillies. He managed the Dodgers and Braves before he got to the Mets. Okay. Well, lots of fun. And uh, we're only a third of the way through here. And this, like Andrew said, this will be something that kind of builds, um, you know, that we that we sprinkle in with from time to time over the next uh, next several months. So hope you enjoyed the first two. You'll hear more from us, not only on this topic, but on some other topics uh, throughout uh, throughout the next several months. But until... We speak again. I am Dan Newman. And I'm Andrew Newman. Goodbye, old sports. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. 
You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. With every race, every qualifying run, and every pit stop, Tim Coffeen would feel the pressure and excitement. With his own podcast on the Sports History Network called Tim Coffeen Talks IndyCar and Racing History, Tim will share those very same racing emotions and memories with his listeners. Learn, laugh, and enjoy the world of IndyCar racing through the eyes of Tim Coffeen. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.